Hello and welcome. Are you just not going to say anything? What? (laughs) (laughs) You've welcomed me to nothing. Well, I welcomed you. Oh, okay. We're sharing a virtual space, almost in the metaverse, (laughs) and I welcomed you to it. And you, being the rude person you are, did not respond in kind. I I didn't know that's what you were doing. I thought maybe your computer had frozen again or something. Except I was still moving. Like you saw me moving. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you for like, it's, I'm glad I'm here. Good to be here. Well, that's good. That's good. Cause you are contractually obligated to to be Mm -hmm. here. But we do want you to be here. Mm -hmm. But what this really is, is another episode of the Midnight Narwhal podcast, where it is two individuals, humans, Mm-hmm. who have decided to reproduce themselves digitally via sound and video for ourselves. Yeah, not for y'all. You don't get to see No, no, you don't get to see the video. We see the video. Yeah. You guys just get the sound. And one of us will tell the other person a story. Mm-hmm. And that story is always about something that has actually legitimately happened in the past because yeah. you can't tell a story about what will happen in the future. Not to be accurate necessarily. Yeah, yeah. But today I will be telling that story, and my name is Andy, (laughs) and my name is James, and it is a pleasure to be the receiver of this story this week. As always, Andy, I I would love to. uh, I I like to brag on your timbre change (laughs) um, when when you take over the microphone because we have conversations before we hit record. We do. Really, you go from like. John Mulaney-esque, like sort of maybe Annoying, not quite, prepubescent yeah, child. Yeah. To to I mean Barry White, step out, step out of the way. Like, welcome, Andy. And then the fun part for everyone listening is you get to hear the slow change back into John Mulaney. Yeah. By the end of it, there is no <laughs> richness or fullness to my voice. It is back mm-hmm. to the shrill screaming of an unhappy 12-year-old boy. I understand this. I know this is the case. And I'm not happy about it, honestly. What there's only do, so much. Well, there's only so much you can do in the editing studio. Of course. It should come as no surprise that my main source is not Wikipedia. It's actually uh, atavis.com, scientificamerican.com, wired.com, and Wikipedia. Yes, there you naturally, go. Naturally, it's, it's going to be there. The win for our story is the year 1861. 1861. The where is Southern Minnesota. The what is human childbirth. And the Ooh, who yeah. is Frederick Russell Burnham. Freder- Frederick, not Frederick. Fred- Frederick. Fred- Frederick. Got it. So you have Frederick, but f- like Fredder, more Fred. Got it. Yeah. 1861, he's born. Less than two years later, Frederick's mother, who was a really great and caring mother, she Mm -hmm. was brushing her hair in the doorway of their house, and she saw a band of Lakota Native Americans slip out of the forest. At that time, if you're a white person living in the wilderness and you see Native Americans, that's bad news. Yeah. Yeah. It's normally really bad news for you. Mm -hmm. Totally. Because those Native Americans have probably met other white people and it's been really bad for them. Yeah. So they're naturally going to be hostile, I'd say. I was going with the term racist, really. Um, 
yeah racist against white people it's reverse racism it is is what it is yeah it is we struggle too okay and they just didn't understand that we had to come in there and like take that land like that took work okay it was our manifest destiny it was god told us to do it zero understanding on their parts we tried to teach them but mm-hmm. they just wouldn't have it. We they sent them like, to ah smallpox. We sent them to nice schools. We gave them warm blankets. <laughs> we 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 walked them or we had them take a trail down to Texas. I mean, that's we <laughs> gave them alcohol. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's gone fine. Return- mm-hmm. And in return, you know, all we got was you know a lot of land and like farming techniques. And a yeah. white man has been attacked. Yeah. So she knew all of this. And she also knew that she would not be able to get away from them with her not quite two-year-old child. So she took the child, Frederick, and hid him in a pile of newly shucked corn Mm. and was like, hey, you're not quite two. (laughs) I need you to stay in this pile of literal corn cobs (laughs) and keep perfectly still and very quiet because naturally you're going to be good at that. Mm-hmm. Also, how weak and frail was this mother that she couldn't run away with a child that's less than two? I feel like, you know, I've I've ran before. I've ran with heavy things before. I've, I don't feel like a child that's less than two years old is that much weight. I feel like I've had I've been late for class running with a full backpack. I feel like that would be more intense than running with a less than two year old child. I don't know. Maybe uh, he was one of those like stupidly obese children. Like he's a like a, yeah. You know, maybe he's like a fifty pound two year old. Oof, dang. My ne- I got a nephew who's like that. Literally, like the child's a monster, a little no. monster, adorable. But I'm like, literally, he could eat my baby. <laughs> Just like straight up, he's like, yeah, I'm eight months older than him. <laughs> like it could happen, and he probably you wouldn't even notice. There'd be room inside of him for just like Whoop, Nate's gone. Okay, where'd Nate go? <laughs> Oh, and he man. just sit over in the corner looking really content with himself. This, I just love how, how your one of your brother's kids just got just wrecked on this podcast. And you're, <laughs> I'm just saying, look, I'm just saying that kid is he is huge. He is huge. Oh wow! Started off like just ginormous and has just kept staying ginormous. That's, that's he's funny. adorable and a sweet sweet child, yeah. but he uh, is huge. He'll thin out. I did. I mean, I was, I was a fat baby and look at me now. Were you, I could literally eat another baby and no one was, would even notice other than was, the other baby was missing. I was 10 pounds, nine ounces at birth. I mean, that's a large baby. Yeah. Yeah. But you probably uh, weren't like 40 pounds at a year old. No, I don't think so. See, there's a difference. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm just saying, maybe Frederick is that baby. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if they had scales then in the woods in Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think so. It was probably like you put the baby in one hand and then like a bunch of other things in another to see what it balanced. You're way about, you know, this many river stones or this. I don't know what they had. Four shovels. Yeah. yeah, Four shovels or this whole thing of corn cobs. Yeah. Which (laughs) conveniently we're going to put you inside of. So he's already used to them, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So because she's a caring mother, once she put him in there, gave him his instructions, she ran away, vanished in the wow. woods, went to a neighbor's house that was six miles away. Okay. <laughs> this was six, in the evening. Six, six miles. Six miles six, away. That's, that's not a short distance. Well, that's why she uh, didn't want to carry a child the whole way. 
Oh yeah. Like six yeah. miles. That's, that's a pretty good distance. Okay. In the morning she came back. She realized the Indians had burned the cabin. Hmm. However, Frederick was still alive because he had stayed motionless and quiet in the corn. Something about like, this is almost like a superhero origin story. Like, like corn man, like, like <laughs> the most Iowa superhero of them all. You thought other superhero punchlines were bad. You wait till you hear these corny one-liners. <laughs> but Frederick later wrote, he said, I had faithfully carried out my first orders of silence obe- silent obedience. Wow. Like he was proud of the fact that as a very young child, he survived by somehow not following any of his natural instincts. Hmm. to be loud and noisy. Yeah. Seven years later, Frederick's dad was injured. Um, he was carrying a log and it slipped and fell on him and punctured a lung. Oh, dang. That's a big log to do that. Then. Like a log? Yeah, a, a log. I would imagine this was not a perfectly smooth sort of log. Like well, yeah, log. I was about to say, because like puncture. Probably branch sticking out sort of thing I, from I it. I think log, I think crushed, but yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. I mean, maybe it burst along, but all, oh, all the, all the sorts of things punctured. So I have a feeling there was like, you know, a branch that wasn't fully cut flush with the trunk and it went poof. That I sucks. don't really know. Yeah. But okay. everything says he punctured a lung. The super cold air in Minnesota doesn't make it really easy to deal with breathing issues. No. Or pain. Mm-mm. So the cold sucks. It does for a number of reasons, but especially when you have a punctured lung. It's what everyone says. Mm-hmm. And so the family relocated to a tiny town in California called Los Angeles. And uh, because there he could find uh, some relief in the warm climate, hopefully, was the idea. But a few years later after they arrived, Edwin died. Oh, see, there's your Uncle Ben death. Yep. See, yeah, more superhero origin. It's the beginning. And so after that, that death of, you know, the breadwinner, moneymaker of the family, Frederick's mom, who, you know, as I said earlier, is definitely a great mom. Mom of the year. She took out a loan, bought two plane plane tickets, train tickets. There were no planes other than like the plains and the prairies. Mm-hmm. She bought two train tickets for herself and then one for Frederick's younger brother to go to Iowa. Oh. Where, where they could be with family. And so she once again left Frederick all alone in a hostile environment. How, so he, how old is he at this point? He at this point is, I think he's like 11 11, 12, wow. right around there. Jeez. <laughs> okay. So Frederick's a go-getter. Yeah. Uh, he got a job delivering telegrams as a messenger good. for Western Union. Good for him. And as it turns out, he was really, really good at it. Like he'd hop on that horse and just ride hard, hard, hard. Well, because he's he's so small. The horse is like, is there even anything on? Yeah. Unless sure. he's one of those gigantic <laughs> 12-year-olds. I'm just kidding. I was about to say, he probably lost all this baby weight. I mean, something, you know, when when your mama leaves you and you've got to fend for yourself. Yeah, I'm sure you learn how to not eat a whole lot. Well, but Uh, he moved to L.A. and there's a lot of, you know, body image things that come along with that. Sure, sure. Yeah, totally. Especially in the 1800s. But so he was able to ride those horses and, you know, like they did with Western Union, you'd ride that horse until it was exhausted and then you'd hop on a new one and then you ride that one until it's exhausted and you hop on a new one. It was the hop- Amazon of, of, of male back yes. then. Like, yeah, very much so. Equally horrific working conditions. So Except yeah. now Amazon treats humans like those horses. And <laughs> Pretty much. 
Yeah. But in no time, he'd repaid his mom's loan. So that's good. Yeah. That not only did she leave him, but she also left him with the debt. Yeah. You know, that's that's what that's what Dr. <laughs> Spock would want. Yeah, so he was alone for days at a time at, at 12 years old, living alone, working a man's job and paying off his mom's debts. Man, real Ron Swanson of a of a go of a guy. Origin story. That's, yeah, that's awesome. Frederick eventually made it down to Texas. And it was while he was there that he encountered the last cowboys of a fading wild, wild west. Not like Will Smith movie, but genuinely the whole era. Wow, wow, west. Uh, yeah, wow. So many of these old frontiersmen and cowboys were at the kind of end of their lives and they were alone. They'd sit with him for hours and just regaled him with all their stories of exploration and conquest, Indian genocide, you know. The good stuff. But an old scout named Holmes had lost his family in the Indian Wars, and he didn't have any heirs to pass his knowledge on to. And he took young Frederick under his wing and taught him all the old ways of scouting. Nice. He led Freddy through the desert for six months. He doesn't go by Freddy, but I just wanted to say it. It sounds wrong to me, so I'm not going to say it again. Not going to do it again. Cool. I'm not going to do it again. But I gave it a go. Hey, you know, you tried. That's what matters. But he led Frederick through the desert for six months forging the boy's grit and courage into actual skills and talents. So for instance, Holmes taught him how to read air currents like you would the currents in a river and literally taught him like, hey, if you go up onto a ridge where the warmer currents in the air are moving, you can figure out where a campfire might be from a distance away. Oh, I didn't know that was something you could read. Well, you're not mentored by a scout from the no, old Wild West. I'm not. I'm not. He taught him how to build up his internal compass and how to rely on it, even in the total darkness of night. That's cool. Yeah. So it's like apparently turned him into a goose. Like, yeah, I know where North is. <laughs> yep. Just naturally. Taught him how to hone and develop a photographic memory for the tracks of individual horses. <sighs> Individual horses? Individual horses. No, no, that's not Black Beauty. That's Seabiscuit right there. That, look at that one. Look at that one. You see? You how, can tell because yeah, can it's tell. a little bit more pointy at the front of the hooves. Than, oh, my gosh. Than, like, I can't do that with people, and people that's, have different shoes. That's crazy. Wow. Okay. Taught him how to improvise and conceal booby traps. Taught him how to carry a gallon or two of water in a saddle blanket. So literally like you take your big old blanket, soak it in water, and then you just kind of carry that around for a little bit. And then if you got thirsty, you just wring it out into a concave rock and drink it up nice. out, of a, out of a little natural bowl. Good stuff. Taught him how to sneak up on people, how to fight with a knife or fight without any weapons at all. So he's a cowboy ninja. Uh, you're, I think you're getting, yeah, you're, you're yeah. really getting the okay. idea here. Yeah. Holmes used corn cobs because corn's going to just, it's a thing. Dude, corn is back. It's back. It's yeah. corn is back. Brought to you by Big Corn. Oh, my gosh. Sponsor. Yeah. Holmes used corn cobs and sand uh, to display and teach him how forts were built and how you could best undermine them in terms of, oh, if you do this little bit to the way the architecture is, you could just kind of crumble the whole wall and sneak in or, or whatever, that sort of thing. Huh. He taught him how to decipher the movements of troops. And it's really through all this point in the podcast, I want you to imagine like a gigantic like training montage. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's like some inspirational song by like Foreigner or Journey playing or something like that. Like 
Yeah. And or that moment in Footloose where Kevin Bacon is is angry dancing, like something like that going on or like a Rocky moment. Got it. Yeah, I was thinking more Rocky and way less Kevin Bacon. Frederick began spending all his money on ammunition. It's always a good sign for a young teenage boy. Oh, yeah. Surely nothing can come bad from that. No red flags whatsoever. Nothing's ever gone wrong in the history of humanity for, for young men that have just bought a ton of ammunition. He trained himself to be ambidextrous with a pistol, and he practiced a whole bunch of trick shots. He'd set up oil cans in the brush and fire at them from a gallop. Nice. He would also place a cork in a puddle, and he would shoot underneath the cork to make it pop up into the air, and then shoot again to try to hit it in midair. What? Okay. <sighs> Like, that's really cool. That's that's uh-huh. really cool. But what practical application would that serve? I mean, I don't know. If you're trying to show off in a bar. No. See, yeah. That, or, not show, Like, I'm talking um, survival. Survival, man. What? I mean, maybe there is a really angry horsefly coming at you. Mm. And you've got to, and you're like, I'm not about to get bit by this horsefly. And so he's got practice hitting little small things that are flying. Okay. See, practical application. Okay. So he practiced it again and again and again until he could consistently hit it three times out of five. That's not bad. 60%. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's that's pretty Pretty dang good. Yeah. For something like that. For something like The most grueling lessons that he learned, however, were psychological. So he had to learn how to weather through the loneliness, the fear, the deprivation um, that all these physical skills would be ployed in the midst of. Mm. Because scouts work completely alone. Uh, He had written, he said, the darkness of night is a scout's best friend, for it will hide his secret movements. Although it is at night that physical exhaustion is most apt to breed the cowardice that comes creeping into the bones of every man at times. He's saying that tired people are cowards he's saying when you're tired you are more likely to let fear actually have a hold on you interesting no yeah no there's there's truth in that i'd say when you're tired your emotions can reign much stronger than when you're well rested yeah one of the strongest natural forces that a scout needed to be able to suppress was hunger and in a way frederick frederick became came to see his own stomach as the weakest and most persuasive part of a man. For instance, he found that eating conventional regular food while working was often impossible because it turns out hunting can be a problem because cooking over fire creates light and smoke and butchered carcasses bring circles of buzzards, which enemies can see. So Frederick adapted. He's a go-getter. So what he would do is he would take some deer jerky, hammer it into a powder, He would then mix the powder with flour and then would bake the entire thing into a big old loaf shaped like a saddlebag. Nice. He called it deer cake. Deer cake. mm, Wow. And for the entirety of his travels, he would eat one pound per day off the gigantic block of deer cake. That's a lot of deer cake. (laughs) Jeez. Sounds so gross. I'd try it. It would be so flowery. Like it, I mean, it'd be like I don't know. It depends on how much how much deer sit in this deer cake. Like true, but I don't. You've already turned jerky into a powder, which is impressive. I'm not gonna. That's, like, how much hammering would that take? That like there's not much 
more moisture you can pull out of jerky like it, it like just in its like it's already a dried meat mm-hmm. but for you to get some i don't think nothing is drier than powder like like no. there, there is nothing drier than than that wow like mm. I, I don't know i'd still try it i think i could still i would still try it you know me i'm a picky eater um i'm not gonna deny that i am most apt to trying new things food wise when it's a protein i would i would try a new type of animal meat before i try like a passion fruit or something like that oh you should try um, passion fruit they're amazing i don't, I don't know i don't even know what a pa- i couldn't tell you what a passion fruit they looks look like. gross is it the is that the spiky spiky one the no prickly? Which one no, am I thinking? Dragon fruit. It's dragon fruit. Dragon well, fruit's yeah. gorgeous. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't eat a dragon fruit either. Texture is really weird. See, that's it's a it's a big texture game for me. Meat is meat. Like there is a difference between steak and chicken texture wise, but it's mm-hmm. still meat. It is um, meat. So, yeah, I think I'd try this. Like I could see it. Deer cake. Deer cake. More of like a true grit sort of sort of thing, I guess. Than, it's very like, true gritty. Yeah. Even more so because later on in East Africa, he would act just like the local tribesmen did. And I know this would appeal to you, but he would go months at a time and not eat a single vegetable. Hey, yeah. yeah. However, instead, he would consume a mixture of three parts milk and one part fresh blood. Uh, nope, nope. Uh uh-uh. uh. So, uh-uh. would you rather have the vegetables? I, out of that, yeah, I'd rather have the vegetables. Okay. Gee, but like, oh wow, that's that's so gross. Well, maybe this will make it better for you. He would get the blood, he would draw it from a vein in the neck of a living ox, the same way that like syrup makers would tap the trunk of a maple tree. Like a Capri Sun pouch? Whoop! Pop it right on in there, get your oh, straw. No, no, this is just so let weird. it bleed right on into his uh bucket. Oh wow. Oof. Yeah, Frederick said that it took 10 days. But his system did finally adjust to that. Day. Oh, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure it did take every bit of 10 days. His body's like, whoa, Frederick. I mean, I know we've been eating deer cake for 20 years, but like, I mean, this blood and milk combo is, is something else. You got to give us a second. Like, how about, a, how about a stick of broccoli every once in a while, Frederick? How about something like anything just... to keep the blood away? <laughs> uh, I don't want the cow blood. Oh, and my ew, milk. Ew. You. That's using all parts of the animal, though. So kind of in his brain, he was like, you know, it's possible that if you discipline yourself enough, you could basically ignore hunger completely and just fill the stomach with blocks of pure common sense. Whatever. I could eat this bark. That'd be fine. Uh, I can uh, do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's gross. It's a thing. Yeah. I could eat that. That's the way he looked at it. Uh, he felt like he, the world and every part of it was his to master. Huh. That you just had to be more mentally strong than anything else going on. I mean, there's there's a lot of truth to that, definitely. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can obviously take it to an extreme and be like, okay, no, this is silly. But I'm I mean, gonna drink you, milk with cow's blood. If you're gonna take any idea to is to its extreme, though, like you could take this one pretty far. It's got legs, definitely. Yeah, I think if you have at least somewhat of that philosophy in life, you're gonna do well, even in today's world, you know. Absolutely. If anything, even more so in today's world, like, you know, like where we're all just like, oh, no, like they like I had to wait an extra day to go see this Spider-Man movie. <laughs> oh, and you have uh, all the tools you could ever need just readily available for you as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. So like you too could have a really crappy podcast. Like it, mm-hmm. it's, it's available for anyone. You can do that. Like we didn't that. have to pay anybody to do this. No, we're doing this just because we want to. But in spite of all of his self-control, Frederick was still susceptible to gold fever. And he spent a lot of years during his young adulthood chasing rumors of lost mines all around the southwest of the country. Uh... However, he did find gold once. And at age 22, uh, it brought him just enough money to basically send some to a town in Iowa for a girl that he once met. Her name was Blanche. What a name. What there, a name. There's Blanche again. It's the second time in this podcast history. Yeah, I was about to say, yeah, that, that Blanche. But okay. he sent out for her to have her come and join him in Pasadena, California. And uh, they kind of settled into a slower sort of life for him. He became a citrus grower. Going back to the Blanche thing for a yep. second. Though. <laughs> I know it was very culturally acceptable to just name your child bot- Blanche. Well, name your child Blanche. <laughs> But also, <laughs> also as a woman, you're just like, yeah, some dude I had a conversation with could mail, could like could mail me in a few years and basically buy me, um, basically as a wife. Like, oh, I well, was at this I, time. They they would put advertisements in the newspaper, like uh, like a single woman like a would put an advert, basically like Craigslist, but she would put in there like. Hi, I'm a woman, and I'm definitely a human woman, and I'm, human I'm looking woman. for a husband. I'm fertile. I'm I'm quiet. I can cook. Um, I can cook. <laughs> I got some childbirth and hips. So and, buy me. And so that they would literally find husbands through the newspaper articles. Wow. Which you know, those are some horrific replies that you would get. Oh man. Which I mean. Uh, we look at that and talk about how like antiquated and outdated that is. But we still do it. We still very much so. Um, we don't use just, the newspaper anymore. We don't. Like, and even you even look back to like the eighties, like the VHS video dating. Like I love you want you want a good time. Look up some videos on YouTube of like like clips. Like you could go to a mall, sit down, record a profile of yourself, and then that VHS tape would get mailed out or sent around to local singles. And I look back at that. I'm like, this is pathetic. What is that? Like what, which I can't wait for 20, 30 years from now for the, like kids to look back at, at dating sites and yeah. Hinged Tinder, um, uh, Christian mingle farmers only (laughs) to like, just lumping them all in there. Just get them all in there. Yeah. Um, and being like, wow, you, you used to do that? Really? Like, that's what you thought of, of like, like interaction and, and uh, uh, yeah, very much like that's, I didn't mean to have, have this turn into a whole like uh, thing about this, but I just, well, do, but we're just all about like, making fun of everything that exists today. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> but I also got to know, like, how much gold was that worth? Like how, like if I'm Blanche, I got to be like, how much did he pay for me? Like, how much am I worth? Mm-hmm. Like financially, how much is all this worth? Um, and <laughs> I wish everyone could have seen your body movements when you said <laughs> all this. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. genuinely well, at that moment, I believe that you felt you were a sexy woman. <laughs> well, I mean, my name's Blanche. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you got to have something to go with the name you, you got to override the name uh, exactly exactly because enough say, this that is... some lonely guy would send you money this is my wife blanche 
like <laughs> I would I would hope that the looks are better than the name because She's the, be name, a the name does not uh produce high hopes <laughs> does not inspire confidence sorry to all the blanches out there um, there's only like seven in the entire world at this point but you're probably 90 and you can't hear this podcast anyway <laughs> <sighs> I actually know uh someone younger than you whose name is Blanche she doesn't listen so no <laughs> what were those parents doing like like we're bringing it back Blanche like that's <laughs> that's gonna be <laughs> It's gonna, uh, yeah, wow, okay. Well, Frederick married Blanche, um, good for him, but turns out you said he's got a citrus farm, citrus farm, but it turns out he's not good at growing things, he's much better at hunting things, killing things, yeah, yeah. Um, and the car calm lifestyle that he had carved out for himself left him quite restless, and so Frederick spent all his time reading books about Africa. And dreaming about what could be. His infatuation with Africa had started as a child while he was still up in Minnesota. There's an older girl who would babysit him and her younger brothers. And at night when she would be taking care of him, uh, she would read adventure stories to all the young boys about another group of young boys who would just kind of trek into the wilds of a Southern territory known as the Orange Free State, which was one of the republics that was founded by the descendants of Dutch settlers called Boers. 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 It's spelled B-O-E-R-S, pronounced Boers like male pigs. Interesting. But at bedtime every night, all five of the boys would sit still, completely entranced by those stories from Africa. And ever since that time, Frederick had just kept going on reading similar stories. So even as he wandered all around the Southwest as a young man, he always tried to stay up on the developments in the region. He'd follow along as a longstanding conflict between the British and the Boers created a brief war in 1881. Hmm. So in all his reading, Frederick was very kind of specially interested in Cape Colony's prime minister a British guy named Cecil John Rhodes, which I probably didn't need to say British guy since the, his name is Cecil John Cecil. Rhodes. You really just said, you could have just said Cecil. Like, yes. Yeah. But he was a shrewd and aggressive imperialist, which I feel like most British people were at that time. Sure. Uh, Frederick thought of him as a quote, super brain. And Frederick Nerd. was. <laughs> Frederick was swept up by Rhodes' vision for remaking the African continent. Like a whole lot of people at his time, Frederick very strongly believed that the transformation of Africa was a noble and even completely humanitarian goal. Okay. I mean, like Manifest Destiny, except in Africa? Or, yeah, (laughs) British and African. Um, because I mean, we kind of thought that about. Yeah, I mean, the it's, the, it's the same sort of thing. Yeah. For us, it was conquering the West. Yeah. For, but I mean, to be fair, America took that even further um, with the Philippines and Puerto Rico, and and genuinely, like Americans thought it was their destiny to take over basically all of the Americas, anything we get our hands on. 
yeah. uh, because it was civil bringing civilization to these places. And certainly that's part of the way that a lot of British folk thought through these things is, you know, wow, we could, we can bring civilization to these savages and boy, life would be so much better for them. However, with manifest destiny, with whatever you, the actual term for what the British were doing at this time. It's imperialism. It, I mean, it's straight up imperialism. The imperialism typically would refer to as more like the economic gain, all that sort of stuff that would come from Britain owning these places. Uh, but there were, was a large element of sort of like humanitarian thoughts that these people had. Now, were those humanitarian thoughts based in terms of facts all the time and not have a root of racism involved with them? <laughs> yeah, no, that pretty much kind of existed there. However, certainly, you know, there were technological advances that the British had that people living in the middle of Africa did not have access to medicine and all that sort of stuff that generally could make things better. However, it was always done with like, hey, we're coming over, we own you now. So yeah, there's a lot of wrongness naturally sort of baked into this sort of belief. Yeah. However, I don't think from everything I read and saw, Frederick didn't see any of his like, oh, these poor savages. He, he really saw it more as, hey, I've seen good, what good intentions. Happened. Yeah, it, you know, very yeah. good intention, very pure heart, which I think a lot of people did have. Like genuinely, like, you know, you can be very cynical and, and sort of argue that, oh, everyone's racist, everyone's. I don't think that was the case because mm-hmm. that's not the case today. Like you see no. things happen and yeah, horrible things happen. But even people who are involved in it are not all, like they just don't see the full picture or they can't see, you know, the, the chain of the consequences of their actions. There's lots of things that happen because people are still going to be, be people. But I totally. think overall, people generally want to do the right thing and to be considered good people. Yeah, that's good. And so in Frederick's, it, like his own sort of interpretation of the way Rhodes saw things, is, and he said that Rhodes saw Africa as a vast, unkept field calling to him to be cleared. So Frederick thought that the prime minister was striving to plant, and I quote, the flower of civilization there. And so he's having all these thoughts while he's sitting in his failing orange grove in Pasadena. And this whole idea about the blank slate that he kind of saw Africa as, it really seduced him. It's a fresh start. It is a fresh start. It's another new wildness. You know, he kind of missed the old wild, wild west sort of thing here in America. Like he got the very, very, very end of it. Um, Really, the it was basically done at that point. And so now he's kind of taking those same ambitions that you know he has to feel like he here heard the stories from all these dudes who lived it i mean they some of these guys were the heroes of the west he didn't get to experience any of that to nearly to that same extent and so now here's this whole new slate uncivilized uncivilized area that he can go experience that's cool so he wrote it as you know i was a he said i was as one summoned by an irresistible call and he figured that cecil rhodes would need a good scout and especially one who would know how to operate in desert terrain. So on January 1st of 1893, he left for Africa with his wife and young son, Roderick. Roderick. Keeping, Roderick. It, keeping, the, keeping the Durr in the family. Yeah, got to keep add that ER. Yeah. You know, it's not just Roderick. It's Roder. It's more Rod. Mm-hmm. A series of conflicts flared up almost as soon as Frederick and his family arrived in South Africa. Rhodes' forces were pressing into Matabele land, 
which that is not easy to pronounce. About to say, okay, that's impressive pronunciation. I practiced it. Nice. I looked it up online, and then I practiced and practiced and practiced. This is Matabele Land. Matabele Land. There you go. Nailed it. First try. Yeah, Yeah, I'm good like that. But it's an area in present-day Zimbabwe, and their forces were struggling to suppress the Indebele tribe. You're blowing me away with your pronunciation game with all this stuff. Spelled N-D-E-B-E-L-E. Okay, cool. Indebele. So, of course, Frederick leapt directly into the fighting. And in his mind, it felt a whole lot like the Indian Wars of his youth all over again. And nice. before long, Matabele land had been occupied and renamed Rhodesia. Okay. Which you might have heard of that. Yeah, I've heard of Rhodesia. Three years later, when the second Matabele War erupted, Frederick and his family were living outside the city of Bulawayo. At this time, they had a second child, a two-year-old girl named Nada. As the conflict intensified and the Indabele advanced, the Burnham family were moved into Bulawayo for their protection. You know, like let's go into the city behind the walls and we'll stay yeah, safe. Yeah, be safe, yeah. The entire city was being locked down and fortified with homemade defenses. And the Burnhams and another family were stuffed into a three-room shack with all their livestock just kind of hanging around outside. Now, as it so often happens to the inside of besieged cities, a virus soon ripped through the colonists' oxen and oh. thousands of the animals died over the course of three weeks. Oh, no more blood juice. No. Bummer. No, he might have to actually eat eat a stalk of broccoli. Mm. Poor Frederick. He wrote that the scavenging hyenas and vultures could make no dent on the thousands of huge swollen carcasses that blocked the road for miles. Gosh, that's a picture. Bulawayo was 500 miles from the nearest railroad. And so that city had always used oxen carts um, to bring food and supplies to the city from the railroad. Well, with all the oxen dying, that makes that kind of difficult. Sure. Leads to supply shortages. And before long, thousands of people began dying too. Mm. He wrote, for weeks, there was an unrelenting stench because the colonists could not spare the fuel to cremate the bodies. And the men would go out at night to defend Bulawayo against raids by the Indabele. And so during the day, they were just simply too tired to bury all the dead. Oh, man. Eventually, Nada came down with a fever. Yeah, I was about to say that, that that checks out. Yeah. By that point, the remaining livestock had all been eaten. You know, at least the ones who weren't, you know, sick. Yeah. And so had all the pets, which included Nada's three ostriches, which she had raised since they were chicks. Ostriches. Huh. My question is, why would you give ostriches to a two-year-old? Because she was two. I mean, at, from Federick's perspective, I mean, two. You know, look look what he did when he was two. That's so, fair. Yeah, yeah. You should be able to take care of some gigantic yeah. raptor birds. Exactly. Frederick was off fighting when she died. Oh, that's oh, that's sad. So Blanche had to enlist some friends to help bury her daughter in a shallow grave outside of town. Frederick was completely devastated. However, that June, he received an important bit of intelligence that located a man believed to be the Indebele's religious leader and war commander. Sort of a warrior shaman, if you will. Got it. And they found him in a secret cave. Frederick was sent to assassinate him. Nice. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. It's for my daughter. Sneaking into the cave, he paused for a second to watch the holy man. And he wrote, 
Constantly before my enraged vision rose the picture of my wife vainly holding her dying Nada. So he shot the guy in the heart and ran out of the cave. Nice. Yeah, just just without any ceremony or anything. Just bang. All right, cool. Bye. He took a second to look at the guy, really feel the anger of his dead daughter, and just boom. Done. Vindication. But he ran out of way, and uh, as he was running away from all the commander's men, he just kept setting a whole bunch of villages on fire. That, okay, that's another <laughs> way to... Yeah, not not quite without uh, ceremony or anything. Just bang, you're dead. Let's light some stuff on fire. Then every place I pass, I will burn to the ground. Oh my gosh. Okay, cool. The following year, at age 36... All Frederick, this before he's 36? Yeah. He's younger than you. I, yeah, I just turned 36. Wow. But Frederick left Africa to go to Alaska. Bad move. <laughs> Don't go to Alaska. Don't go to, never go to Alaska. Yeah, yeah, but see, gold had been discovered in Alaska. And so Frederick, he likes the idea of him getting some gold. Yeah. I'm sure there's some painful memories in, in Africa too. A few, uh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So they ran away, went, went to Alaska. And of course, the gold still evaded him. So he didn't find any gold there. Mm. But as is the case with basically his entire life, he kept up on all the news coming out of South Africa. And the anger between the British and the Boers was escalating again. So Frederick wrote to his friend uh, who still lived over there. He explained how every day he spent six hours looking over a map of Southern Africa in his mind. So he didn't actually have one printed out. He just had it in his brain. It's that photographic memory. Yep. In his brain and on the map in his brain, he's seen all the trails and streams that led out of the city of Pretoria, picking all the right spots that, oh, here's where you should camp. Here's where you could obtain fuel and stage the animals if there's another war. Because at this point, everyone who pays attention to anything over there is like, yeah, there's another war coming. And so in that same letter, Frederick very glumly wrote, I fear I'll miss it. Don't start the fighting without me. Man, this peace thing is overrated. I want to kill some people. On January 4th, 1900, a telegram arrived from the new British commander in South Africa who had heard about Frederick's service during the previous conflicts. The telegram read, Lord Roberts appoints you on his personal staff. All expenses paid if you accept. Start the shortest way to Cape Town and report yourself to him. Stop. Stop. Okay, interesting. So... uh, He's, I mean, he's, he's very much an American. Oh yeah. Straight um, up American, but not British in the slightest, not British in the slightest has no real allegiance to the Brits. No, he just likes war and, and the right side got to him first, I guess. Or, Pretty much or... English speaking side. Yeah. Cool. He gets a telegram two and a half hours later, Frederick's en route to Africa on the same ship that the telegram had come in on. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Get up, honey. We're leaving. Pack it up. Don't care. Pack it up. Leave it. We'll get more. We'll, 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 there's, there is stuff in Africa. Forget there's the stuff killing here. to do. <laughs> Son, I don't care about your new school friends. All right, we're, going, we're leaving. They're dead to you. Like your sister. Oh, man. <laughs> okay, also. Yes. He, from Africa to Alaska. Trying to think what route that ship would take. If it would go through the Indian Ocean or if it would wrap around. I think the they just Americas. dug a hole through the center of the earth. Oh, okay. Yeah. It just went that way. Got it. That'd be the fastest. 
The Second Boer War was not going well for the British because the Boers had surprised the colonists with a string of shocking and decisive victories right after combat had started, which, hey, you come out swinging. That's what you got to yeah. do. I mean, that's what we did when we fought the Brits, you know, mm-hmm. screw the rules. Like we're we're fighting like, yeah. So, OK. By December of 1899, England realized that they needed to change their tactics. So they brought in Lord Frederick Slay Roberts of Kandahar. Another Frederick? Another Frederick. Okay. Roberts began assembling his new team of leaders, and within months, the tide had turned completely. Nice. Very soon, the Boer government was shattered, and its leadership fleed to Europe. But the Boers, like the everyday people who lived there, mm-hmm. they kept fighting tenaciously as like a decentralized and lethal swarm of guerrilla fighters. So Frederick Burnham, our Frederick, uh, his job was to gallop around inside this fractured conflict while being undetected. So he's just like a guy riding around trying to gather as much intelligence as he can to help the British figure out where these little swarms of guerrilla fighters are actually at. Okay. So it's kind of like our war on terror. Like, it's not really. Okay. Got it. So there's not like the centralized government, like, oh, if we can just take over the city, then we win. That's not how how it works. Well, like a lot of freelance adventurers involved in the war on the British side, Frederick felt great respect for the Boers. He felt that they were uniquely menacing adversaries because very similar to himself and all the best scouts of the American Southwest, they'd somehow retain the instincts and senses of more primitive men. In a sense... Mm -hmm. Frederick considered himself a boar at heart, trapped in the wrong nation or the wrong time. His entire life, he'd felt people nudging him toward a world of, and I quote, soft carpets, soft food, soft life, soft men, soft women. But sometimes I wish I had never learned to read or form any conception of duty, civilization, or religion. For then I might have been outwardly, as I am now at heart, a thorough savage, nothing more. Wow. That's... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> quite a statement i don't think he would like what the world has become not uh, at all <laughs> at least there's a respect for the enemy there which i think any like you need like you need a. it's important uh, yeah wow i mean i don't know how much more clear he could have been yeah he his... likes them not enough to stop killing them but he does no like them. no 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 yeah <laughs> Like a, that's that's the respect, you know. It's, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm sure, like as he's killing them, I respect you. Ah, ah. I respect you so much. I'm going to make this a quick death and not a mm-hmm. long, painful one. Yep, we're one in the same. You and I. Bang. I'm also <laughs> a savage. Ah! <laughs> wow. Okay. For cool. years after the war was over, he would often talk about two of his enemies in particular. First one was the Boar's lead scout, Danny Theron, and a more shadowy figure who worked for Theron. That man was known as the Black Panther of the Veld, Wakanda Forever. Wakanda Forever. This Black Panther's name was Fritz Duquesne. So not not uh, not a T'Challa figure. Um, I'm In guessing. terms of with a guy with uh, of uh, of skin tone, of, of he uh, is of a complexion. very white man. Uh, yeah, I mean, with the name like Fritz. Wow. He's German. Yeah, I'd hope so. <laughs> so yes, it's it's a white man who goes by the name Black Panther. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> it's not problematic in the slightest. No, not at all. Not at, at that all. point, it wasn't. No. 
but like it wasn't because the story for it all, like, and this is what Frederick has relayed. Um, he said that he had heard that Fritz had adopted the nickname as a child because he watched a wild panther stalk its prey at a watering hole. And so Fritz noticed how efficient the animal was for like, it always waited to attack. It was intent, totally, completely untroubled and waited until the other animal was compromised. Why, why not just say panther? Why, why you got to go black panther? Because it's a black panther. Well, just say a panther. Are there other colors of panther? I mean, I don't know. However, yeah. black can have a have a sort of idea of shadow mystery. Mm. And so it's okay. like, oh, I can blend into the darkness or whatever. You know, but it's, it's that idea of lurking is okay. sort of the, I mean, I don't know. I'm making all this up off the top of my head. I don't actually uh-huh. know. None of it's actually written down. <laughs> I'm trying to help out our boy Fritz. Yeah. So as a boy, Fritz vowed to become like the panther. The panther was a wild predator no one had ever succeeded in taming. And by the Second Boer War, Fritz had become just as cunning and sinister as that animal. Hmm. So during the war, Duquesne would spend the conflict trying to kill Frederick. And Frederick was assigned to kill Fritz. Frederick called him, and I quote, the human epitome of sin and deception. Doesn't mince words, this guy. And another writer described Fitz as, and I quote, a walking, living, breathing, searing, killing, destroying torch of hate. Again, like, give these guys a Pulitzer because they are just really great at expressing and communicating ideas through words yeah, you um, get there just real quickly yeah yeah there's there's no way to read that and it to come off like well maybe they mean nope nope this is exactly <laughs> what they mean they called you a torch of hate like there's there's no sugarcoating that no. or bending that to mean anything else than what that what what that says okay wow <laughs> Wow. (laughs) The Black Panther, the human epitome of sin and deception, Mm -hmm. was just one of countless threats that Frederick had to dodge during the war because his commanders consistently sent him in to infiltrate and sabotage all the deadly remnants of the Boer army. One time, our boy Frederick hid for two days and nights inside of an aardvark hole. Oh, that's nothing. You know, once you spend some time in in a pile of corn, you know, an aardvark hole is. But how do you feel like that anteater came home? And found this weird American living in his house. I mean, knowing knowing Frederick, he probably ate him. Um, <laughs> hey, can I suck you some blood out of your neck? Uh, hey, you got any extra ants up in that that real long nose of yours? Like Great. a built-in Pre- straw. Appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah, I won't be here long. <laughs> Just give me a couple days. Another time, Frederick floated down a river disguised as a dead cow. <laughs> Because he wanted to get some information on an enemy camp that was downstream. So, I, know what, I know what a dead cow looks like, and it does not look like a human at all. Um, well, he took a um, fresh, fleshy, dead cow, ooh. cut two eye holes out of, out of it, no, and just like literally like floated downstream with this thing over top of him. <laughs> <laughs> so like he hollowed out the inside of the cow. Like Han Solo? Like, like a tauntaun? Like Han, so- like-, like Han Solo sticking Luke inside the tauntaun. But with eye holes. <laughs> <laughs> he got all the intelligence he needed. It worked. Huh. Okay. 
Interesting. Just going to leave that at that. So at one point he was captured by boar scouts, but he managed to hide his identity. <laughs> You're not a cow. <laughs> <laughs> Where's your udder? <laughs> he was captured, but all the boars had been given these little cards, which described the famous Frederick Russell Burnham. And the way they described him was as a ruthless, godless, illiterate rogue from the American West. Wow. So, of course, Frederick knew what that information card said about him. So he sparked a theological debate with one of his captors. <laughs> oh, is he godless? Okay, well, let's talk about, was baptism by immersion the one true route to salvation? Or is it baptism by sprinkling? Okay. <laughs> Can you imagine being a prisoner and saying, hmm, I don't want to get in worse trouble. Let's have a theological debate. That always, I mean, whenever I want to strengthen a bond between me and a stranger, I dive into that, that theological debate, you know? After the debate, he then followed that up by reciting some poetry. <laughs> okay. Uh, he knew poetry? He knew po Well, he's not a godless, illiterate rogue. He can read, he has poetry memorized, and he can talk about theological concepts. And so the boar's like, oh, there's just some random dude. This is definitely not Frederick Burnham. Mm. So that night he slipped away from the boar's wagon train in the dark. Nice. But eventually he made it back to a campsite. Yeah. And from there was sent on a series of missions to cut into the boar supply lines. So he spent his 39th birthday hiding in enemy territory, preparing to blow up some bridges. In early June, he was given 25 pounds of explosives and sent to cut the railway connecting Praetoria to the Indian Ocean. Yeah, that'll work. So probably about the same amount of explosives that like a two-year-old might weigh, for instance. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. After setting out, Frederick encountered a group of boars in the distance, and his horse, Stembach, was shot from underneath him. Oh, that's a good name for a horse. Stembach. Yeah. The animal fell on him. Frederick's spine burned, and he Ooh. assumed that his back was broken. Oh, however, he traveled the rest of the way on foot, vomiting blood and compressing his abdomen with both hands to lessen the pain slightly. Ooh, it was like he was holding his guts together. Don't like that. Don't like that. But he did manage to reach his target. But the pain was so bad that at one point he wrote a farewell note to his wife, Blanche, and <laughs> dropped it on the ground, hoping that British soldiers would eventually pass by and find it. What is that? Like, <laughs> what is what? I mean, I know he's dying, so, you know, whatever. Logic kind of goes out the window. But if I'm dying and I write a letter to my, my wife, I'm not just going to drop that on the ground in the middle of nowhere. Well, there's I'm not like hold... mailboxes. Well, no, but I feel like if I, held, if I hold on to it, people are more likely to find a body than a random scrap of paper with some scribblings on it. And then if they find my body... Then if they're like, oh, he has a note tucked in his pocket. Let's see what that is. Oh, it's to his wife. Let's get that to like, I feel like that's the best way to get that out. That's fair. But I am going to side with the American scout on this one. Sure. Okay. I feel like he probably has a better understanding. He probably looked do. at the wind and was like, if I let go of this note at this moment, the wind will take it and send it to Blanche. It will just, it just will. Well, he knows how to read the currents. I'm sure he, I'm sure he, I'm sure he read them. But he made it all the way to his target. He rigged his explosives and detonated them. 
Wow. And he then hauled his broken body into a grove of eucalyptus trees and hid, trying to make himself invisible, yet again, as boars fired systematically into the trees to try to flush him out. That's an essential oils answer right there. Some eucalyptus for this broken back. I'll lay and, here and, and heal. Uh, I'll absorb the good vibrations through my body and wow. feel better. The earth will heal me. <laughs> However, eventually the troops gave up and they moved away. Wow. Hours later... Frederick heard the voices of British soldiers approaching. They found him, and he was rushed to a field hospital where doctors determined that although his spine was not damaged, his internal injuries were very severe. Yeah. So Lord Roberts promoted him to major and sent him to recuperate in England. What should we like, do, doctor? <laughs> Promote him. <laughs> and now make him go away. Hopefully on the he'll ship get back. better on, him, on, his, on his own. <laughs> like. We can't let him, we can't let an injured Medicine. man stay with the army. Medicine. <laughs> if only we had some eucalyptus oil. Mm, send him away and maybe he'll get better. Awesome. Great we job. We just can't doctor. deal with this. Yeah. <laughs> this constant moaning and crying. It's really bringing morale down. Like, all like what if he dies here? here? We can't have that. <laughs> wow. On the ship right. to England. He chatted with a young British newspaperman who had also been captured by the Boers and escaped. Hmm. That man's name was Winston Churchill. Like the Winston Churchill? Yes. Because we've had Winston Churchill on this podcast before that was the wrong Winston Churchill. Yeah, it was not like a relative of the Winston Churchill. Yeah. This is the Winston Churchill. This is the Winston Churchill. Long cigar and all. Like, yes. Cool. So we see him and now we don't. Oh, so he's just like an in and out, like a cool yeah, role. like he he's okay. his 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 little extra role in this movie is done. Got it. Well, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, it's like you watch a movie and it's like, oh my gosh, there's that really famous person who's famous now, but they weren't at the time this movie was made. But there they are, yeah, like yeah. in the corner of the shot. Like Got that's it. Winston's job in this story. In England, Frederick was invited to dine with Queen Victoria and was mm-hmm. decorated with the Distinguished Service Order, which is a high honor for heroism during wartime. I'd say. Frederick is a very stoic person, and he described the award as so humbling and unnecessary that it was almost humiliating. Yeah, I could see him not loving high society, which is another reason, like, I'm just so amazed that he's with the British. Like, <laughs> We're not stuffy at all. No. Slowly, his injuries healed. The darkness of Nada's death was also dissipating and healing. That's good. Blanche had given birth to another child, a son named Bruce. Nice. So they, they got a normal, a more normal, normal name. sounding name. Not a Brucer. No Brucer. Okay. No Brucerick. They joined Frederick in England. So literally, like he left. She had the baby in the time that he had. They were apart, and then she and the baby joined him. Nice. By 1905, the couple were hatching a plan to return their family back to Rhodesia and restart their lives. Their oldest child, Roderick, was now 19 years old. And he was in a school back in California living with his grandmother. Oh, sweet. Oh, the like, like his, Frederick's mom? I think it's Blanche's mom had moved okay. to California. I, I don't know, but I'm fairly certain it was Blanche's. That's good. That'd be better. One night in October that year, he woke up in the middle of the night, shrieking from a nightmare. He claimed that he had watched his little brother chase a toy boat into deep water and sink to his death. Oh. The next day, a telegram arrived from England. It was from Blanche and Frederick, and it read, Bruce drowned, coming soon. Bruce was seven years old, and he'd been swept away in the Thames River. So the Burnhams returned to California completely wrecked. Yeah, as anyone would. How could you not? Yeah. 
They spent most of their time at home, which was in a secluded area of Pasadena called San Rafael Heights. Frederick tried his best to console his wife. It was a time of recovery. He said that the wild quail, the meadow larks, and the mockingbirds still drown out the ding-dong of the locomotive as it comes by. Mm. The squeak of a trolley car is still very faint, and nature has kindly softened the acute sorrow of my wife. So all in all, this year of 1906 cannot be such a dreary and painful one as 1905. And it was during this time of recovery that Frederick started to think seriously and somewhat ambitiously about an idea that he had had many years earlier. Now, maybe it was because Bruce's death had made the horror of Nada's slow starvation feel fresh again. Maybe it was because he was marooned at home, glaring around at the relatively lifeless landscape all around him, a place he knew that had been already been drained of so much of its wild, edible game by short-sighted hunters. Eventually, he sat down to write an article about this idea of his, hoping that one of the major magazines back east might be talked into publishing it. He wrote, There is in Africa a wonderfully varied range of interesting animals. Most of the desirable ones could easily be introduced into our own Southwest. During this time in American history, there was something going on that the newspapers referred to as the meat question. America was rapidly growing and rapidly expanding, and there was not enough food to go around. (laughs) So Frederick had the idea to import animals from Africa to add to Americans' diets. (laughs) Most notably and famously, the hippopotamus. (laughs) Wow, that took quite a left turn. (laughs) So Frederick wants to import hippos to the United States to serve as a beef replacement. (laughs) And that's where we're going to end the episode right now. All that was a setup to the the meat question. The entirety of it was a setup (laughs) to talk about bringing hippopotamuses to the United States. Is it not hippopotami? No, it's hippopotamuses. Really? But the same thing, like octopi is not the actual correct term for octopuses. The correct term is octopuses. Uh, it should be octopi. But it's not. Yeah. I mean, it's a fun question to think about. I mean, clearly it didn't stick. You know, here we are 120 years later. But think about um, what could have been. Oh, yeah. Like, I... <laughs> Which we are going to talk about that on our like, next episode. Again, I would I would eat a hippopotamus. Like, I totally would. Oh, without like, question. Will, like super willingly. You wouldn't have to hide it or say it, pretend it's something else. Like I'd be like, yeah, okay, cool. Like, like you can look at him and like, be like, that looks delicious. Yeah, look at that. There's a lot of meat on them bones. Mm-hmm. Look at that booty meat. Mm. I mean, I don't think I would refer to it quite that exact same way. <laughs> yeah, dude. Like, there's a lot of there's a lot of animals in Africa, which now you know they're like extinct or going. Extinct. Yeah, it sounds horrible to be like, I want to eat a white rhinoceros. Yeah, but I mean, there's like three of them left. It almost though it it makes it more enticing to eat right. though because it's so because it's <laughs> this is, I, I don't hide the fact I'm a meat eater I'm a carnivore yeah I love this question look forward to discussing it more in the next episode this episode was intended to only cover the meat question that's great once I started actually doing the research into the meat question, I found this cadre of ridiculously interesting characters. This is just the beginning of a much larger story that I'm trying to to bring together. And I'll be honest, I'm really excited about it. Can't 
Oh man, I can't wait. It's been a while <laughs> since we've had a three-parter. Oh, this is this is awesome. Or just a multiple part mm-hmm. episode. Like this is great. This is going to be good. I can't wait. So, everyone, uh thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy eating hippopotamus cuz you're going to very yeah. soon. I'm I'm adding a hippopotamus to my Christmas list now. Thank you for telling the story, Andy. You're so very welcome. This is wonderful. It blessed my ears. As it should. Yeah. And I hope it blessed your ears, dear listener. Mom, that's all I got for you. Just remember, drink your oxen blood and you'll be strong. Mm-hmm. And eat those deer cakes. There's a lot of protein there. But get some water. It'll be just too dry. Yeah. And above all, make sure you email us at the midnight narwhal pod at gmail.com or at discount shark week at gmail.com. Yeah. We check those pretty often and we're saddened by the lack of incoming emails pretty often. So Help us out with that. Thanks. We'll We'll talk at you next week. Okay, bye. Bye. Okay, not up until this point, I have not thought this. But in in your sentence where you said boar commander on horseback, (laughs) I I pictured a wild boar on a horse. (laughs) 